0: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. We've done it. Awesome. I feel like that texting in a song thing uh, might backfire on us. We'll see what people do, because I definitely I definitely just texted in, knock a few bucks, so I don't know if... Um, Uh, If the Lord will be bucking that day. Alright. It's really awesome to see you all this morning. Um, Hi. uh, It is great. Sorry, there we go. We are up and down. I'm sitting on this stool. And hold on a sec. I need to do a really Minnesotan thing really quick and talk about the weather. Holy crap! It's great outside! Wow! I've got my arms out and and I'm wearing like tiny socks and things. And it's absolutely incredible. I was just in Minneapolis actually like uh, a week ago. Um yeah. Um I, I was in Minneapolis last week and we flew out right before this huge snowstorm. And I was seeing things that they had like 22 inches of snow and things like that. Um which I'm so happy that this place exists. <laughs> and it is not Minneapolis, and there is not snow anywhere that I can see. Thank you so very, very much. Uh those guys suck. That's great. Um so for a while we've been in this subversive church series. We've been talking about kind of the, the backwardness that is the gospel. Specifically, we're looking at Paul's epistles um, in 1 Corinthians. He writes to the churches in Corinth. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul writes like uh, nearly half of the New Testament. He just has a movie that just came out. Um, it's 40% of Ryan Tomatoes, so don't see it. But um, great guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, really huge. Uh, and he also invites the church um, into something. This kind of like the letters that he writes them are almost like reminders of who they're supposed to be. Um, and if I think, if you're anything like myself, often we need reminders of that, right? We need somebody to kind of like set us back on track. I love a good meeting. Um, I would have a meeting every day at work if I could. Just, just like remind me why I work here again. Um, it would be great. and Um, A lot of times when we take a look at the churches back then, and honestly, churches around the world, we are confronted with the fact that um, there's some distance there, right, from time and space. There's some contextual distance between us and the churches at Corinth. Um, But I'd say that the letters that Paul writes to them in reminding them of who they are supposed to be still hold incredible weight for us today. Right? They, they were also going through this process of like disorientation and reorientation. They were like having everything shaken up about um, how they understood things. A bunch of stuff went wrong, some things went right. Uh, it's a lot of stumbling to the table, Christians and non-Christians, just trying to figure it out. Right? And there are people around the world who are doing that, so we're a part of this collective. Right? Though these letters were not written to us, I'd say that in a lot of ways they were written for us. Um, so we're going to take uh, a closer look at that uh, specifically. We're going to look at 1st Corinthians uh, 9 verses 19 through 23 That'll pull up on my handy dandy app Though I am free and belong to no one I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Will you pray with me. God, we we step back here together and we gather um, humbly, I'm unsure of a lot of this, of you, of what we're supposed to be doing at times, God. Um, but. I pray that today um, and, and throughout our week and our lives, God, that you, you open our eyes to the reality that is you, that we might be able to step into that reality in our everyday as we engage with the, the words and letters written for a church centuries ago. God, that we might see the way that you have, um, you've intersected yourself with humanity, with time, with history, the ways that you're speaking to us through these words. God, we love you. We're so excited to partner with you in this work. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. There we go, awesome, wonderful. That is proof of the Lord. Um, <laughs> wonderful, so, so in taking a look at, uh, a look at this, it's kind of obvious that this is about evangelism, right? He's talking about winning other people over. And, Personally, evangelism makes my stomach hurt. Um, it's, the word itself kind of stresses me out, uh, the idea of it. Um, and that's a lot has to do with um, the way that we kind of sell evangelism, the way that um, I learned what evangelism was supposed to be. My freshman year in college, I was an evangelism and church planning major until I realized that that was like a really weird and specific, unnecessary major to have. (laughs) Um, But we have all these ideas about what evangelism should look like. And I think that oftentimes we tend to shy away from it because of those thoughts. Our evangelism tends to look like one of three things, either super awkward, really aggressive, or like, um, like grossly coercive, right? So it's um, it's like you you like go to your work and you're like, okay, I got to share the gospel. I got to share the gospel. All right, what are we gonna do? Um, have you uh, you see the game last week, right? You saw the big game, right? It was big, good game, awesome. You know, it's not a game though. <laughs> your eternal soul. Um, you know, so it gets it gets super weird weird really fast at least for me. (laughs) Um, Or you've got people who are on the sidewalk or on the street or on the subway, a lot on the subway apparently, wow New York, just like screaming at you about God hates you so much because he loves you so much. What? Um, (laughs) And people are trying to draw people closer. Um, And I myself have like a lot of guards when I uh, going into churches because every time that I talk to a Christian I'm like afraid that they're trying to convert me. Me, already a Christian, I'm like, please don't, please don't, please don't. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of get these thoughts in their heads and it's it's, uh, it's a huge barrier to the way that we understand evangelism. But I think that Paul is inviting, Paul and Jesus, the gospel, is inviting us into a new way of understanding evangelism and what that means. Something that honestly is a little less ugly um, throughout this passage, he says the word win a lot. And that's, that's weird. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. <laughs> um, when I see the word win, I think of this kind of like I am uh, trying to succeed at something. This is my project that I'm going to get an A on. I'm going to win this game that is you. right? And, and all that stuff has this kind of like ugly connotation to it. Um, But as we look through it and we actually look at the words first Corinthians there we go Um, (laughs) um, and We actually look at the the wording of this um, I I catch a few interesting uh, tidbits one We see to start off though. I am free and belong to no one I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as As many as possible there's a there's a a service that's here there's a sacrifice that it happens as Paul engages with this evangelism it goes on to the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law there is a there's an affirmation uh, a validation of identity that's happening here right Paul meets people where they are at all right, so Paul's, um, Paul's evangelism that we see is, one, it's accommodating, two, it's serving, you know, the winning is not an expectation of like response from them, um, but uh, a hope of freedom for them. And it's also sacrificial. Paul relinquishes his identity. He limits his own power. Right before this, for like 22 verses, Paul goes on and on and on about, it's just like, I am Paul the apostle. You know who I am. Right? If I wanted to, I could ask you for money and that'd be alright. You'd probably give me money, <laughs> right? I can do all these different things, but I'm not doing that. I'm not using the power that comes with my identity. I'm relinquishing all of that because honestly, it gets in the way of actually being in relationship with you. And actually seeing you face to face. And the difference that I see between um, our idea of evangelism and Paul's, is that ours starts at a place of difference rather than familiarity, right? Our our evangelism says, this is who you should be, so how are we going to get you there? Paul's evangelism says, who are you and how may I serve you? Right, very, very, very different um, ideas, very different approaches to this. Paul recognizes that when you start with the human, it can lead to the divine. When you start with the people that are in front of you, their face, who they are in their entirety, it can lead them to the divine. Um, So uh, back in Minneapolis, for about four years, um, I was a part of the poetry community there. And when I first first started going there, the, the biggest thought in my mind was, oh my God, I'm a Christian going into this space. It's a bunch of non-Christians. Um, I don't really know how I'm going to like, engage with this. I want to share the gospel. I want I to like, put it all up there. I want to like, weave redemption and hope into all of my poems and prayers and my interactions with them. Right? I'm going to save these degenerate poets. It's going to be big. <laughs> right? um, and, and this is the, uh, the place that I went. I knew that I didn't want to do anything like over the top right? I wasn't going to come in with a Bible and like slam people with it. Um, I wasn't going to like uh, scream at anyone or like try to like coerce them into this thing, right? Um, I, I thought that I had a pretty healthy view of evangelism. It was just kind of like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the gospel and the things that I do and you're uh, going to be changed because that's what happens, <laughs> right? Um, because that's just how it is supposed to work. Um, and after a few months, I realized that it wasn't working, <laughs> that not only had I not talked to anyone about Jesus or the gospel or anything, but people just didn't care. Like they were, they, they didn't care at all. They didn't hate me for it, but they also just weren't interested. Um, and the thing that shook me uh, one day was when uh, one of my friends, uh, another poet in the community, he said, Joseph, all of your poems, you're telling us who you want us to be. We don't care. <laughs> We want to know who you are. And that radically changed the way that I I was writing at the time, like the way that my poetry looked, Um, but the way that I also saw myself in that space. And I realized in that um, is that I had isolated myself from the community by making them the other from the get-go. Stepping in, I said, I'm a Christian and you are not. And I started at that place of difference. And when you, when you start at that place, I, I hindered myself from actually seeing them, and also I hindered them from actually seeing me. I, I had this kind of like closed-fisted approach to my Christian identity. Um, I, I was holding on to it. and I think if we dig a little bit deeper into that, um, a lot of that is a fear response. right? We hold so tightly onto these things because um, it it holds on to the divide between us, right? There's no gray area for me to have to deal with. If I actually have my beliefs and myself, if I walk forward with open hands, um, you get to look at it, (laughs) you know? You get to poke and prod and, you know, something might fall out and doubt can creep in. And it's really, really uncomfortable. Right? So we hold on to all these divisions between us. We focus on the differences rather than the, uh, than the familiar, than the similarities, so that we can stay safe, so that we can stay comfortable, so that we can stay certain of the fact that I am right. I am the right. I am Christian, and they are not. Right? We, we want to keep those divides there. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone. He he strips himself of the safety of his identities. He says he becomes like a slave, like the lowest in society, right? He's at the whim of the people. Um, And he says this is how people will come to know Christ. He lays down his agendas for a moment so that he can actually be with them. He says, I come to the Jew like I was a Jew. I come to the weak as if I was weak. The thing about coming to a Jew as a Jew is that Jews aren't trying to convert Jews, right? They come at this place of a of, of family, of just kind of like, yeah, we have this thing in common. I don't need to change you. I don't need to mold you here. We can actually see each other outside of the differences um, that previously defined us. And one thing that I've found in being in churches throughout my life Um, And honestly in a lot of spaces is that we want people to come to the table. We want evangelism to work We would love to like boast to be like the most diverse church in the world, right? And there's a bunch of different people. There's age gaps. There's like different in and politics Um, There's uh, different races and ethnicities and cultures mingling together And the gospel is like bursting forth in that right, but we we want the people at the table but we don't want all of them, (laughs) right? We don't want um, everything uh, that that comes with. We want them at the table, but we want it on our own terms, right? We invite them to the table, but we don't want them to cook the meal. Um, The school that I went to, um, I was actually talking to uh, Josh Zepeda about this. It was really, really, it's hilarious. And we both had the same. Uh, are very similar experiences. Um, My freshman year at North Central University, uh, which is the college that I went to, feel free to send them hate mail, just kidding, don't. Um, uh, uh, The college that I went to, I was like one of maybe like three black people there, uh, which was incredible. Minnesota is white, um, but the, I was like one of three black people there, but the first two weeks, in the first two weeks, I was approached by someone to model for them. They were like, and I was like, "Oh, thanks." I think I look good too. Um, And they uh, they pulled me aside and and they bring me uh, to this like fake classroom so they can take pictures of us. And I look around, and the other black people are there, the other two guys. Um, And then there's like um, a a number of other races and things, which really didn't reflect the school itself. Um, But then they took us, they took pictures of us, and they like uh, plastered us on the internet. Um, I was talking to Josh and he had a similar experience not the same experience at, at his college as well And it was really interesting because by putting me on the front page Part of what they're saying right that's representation. They're saying we want people like this here Right you are welcome here. That's a that's a message. I can get down with um, but later down the line when I started to challenge things the university was saying, when there were like actually some incredibly racist policies and things that were a, a, a part of the DNA of the thing, and I challenged those, they didn't want to hear it. They wanted me on the front page, but they didn't want all of me. Right? They, they didn't want me to challenge their, their notions of things. And I think that many times um, we get in the same place right we want people to come over we want people to come to church and come to brunch but you know come um you know like how i want you to (laughs) don't be like too wild like don't question the pastor don't um, question my beliefs don't challenge the things that i say don't honestly don't don't be so different (laughs) right make this easy for me that's a lot of the way that we approach um not only Non Christians, but people of all different uh, sex and identities. But if we are actually going to engage with people, it has to be with all of them, right? Because then, if if we're only interacting with part of them, then we're not seeing all of them, right? We are we're projecting this um, this evangelism that works on them. We're projecting uh, this uh, the idea of them. That's what we want. I love the idea of having a diverse church, right? But don't bring the smelly food, <laughs> right? I, I want you to come to my house, but maybe that's just a little bit too spicy, <laughs> right? Um, and we, um, if we're actually going to engage with this evangelism that Paul talks about, we're gonna have to be really, um, really honest about our identities and how closely we hold to them. We I mean, need to be honest about how scary it actually is to engage with people. Because uh, a lot of times in evangelism, they, we talk about it as it's, uh, I don't know, like, think it's this easy thing. Like making friends is easy. It's not easy, <laughs> right? Interacting with the human race is not a simple thing. It's difficult. But Paul says it's worth it. Jesus says it's worth it. And um, Paul, I think, further shakes up our kind of like devotion to our identities in Galatians uh, 3.28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus." All right, would you mind putting up um, my snappy little drawing here? Um, I'm really, really good at graphics, you'll see in a moment. (laughs) Graphics. It will come. All right, so um, (laughs) these ideas, so we've got uh, these uh, separate identities that Paul brings up. We've got the Jew and the Gentile, we've got the slave and the free, and we have male and female. So we're talking about divisions on biological lines, on political lines, and um, religious lines as well. And if we take a look at our 21st century, that's not enough divisions, (laughs) you know. We have a lot more stuff going on right now, and and Paul just uh, brings brings up these few. And, and these, these divisions determine a lot about what your life would look like. It said who you can marry, what you could own, where you could go, right? And, and that's kind of the same idea that we, run into, that we run into today. But Paul says there is none of that, right? We need to, we need to cut that. Um, we need to reimagine what, uh, what that looks like. And as he uh, slices through them, um, I don't think what Paul is saying is that you are n- stop. You're going to stop being a Jew. You're going to stop being a Gentile. That you're no longer going to be a man or a woman or whatever. Right? It's like coming to Christ doesn't uh, make me not a man. Right? You don't. You don't actually lose those identities. But what he's saying is like identities cease to be your first name right those cease to be the f- mo- first most most important thing about you that everyone sees and engages with engages with they cease to be the the limit of your existence you can understand yourself beyond that and and this this framework that we got here no pictures i, I so many good pictures. Uh, <laughs> um, so in, this, uh, in understanding this, uh, this, new, this new framework, um, let's see if I can uh, give you a, a word picture, if you will. Um, so we have these divisions that are cut off vertically. So we got the Jews line. Gentiles, line, um, yeah you can tell, my graphic is going to be awesome, <laughs> so many lines. Uh, Gentile, line, male, line, female, line, and we are unable to fully see each other because of these lines that are in between us. When we understand each other based on these identities, and we, we hold on to these, these barriers that are between us, we are unable to fully see each other. But Paul takes those lines away, and he runs a line straight through it, right? So now we're all on a playing field where we can see each other. Um, and, and I want to uh, stop and talk about something for a second. Um, so it's, a, it's an immense privilege to let go of your identity, right? To be able to relinquish that. Um, It's not something that uh, everyone has the opportunity and the option to do Um, Many people as they step into a room they are they are boxed up before they have a chance to say anything uh, anything about it Right so in in regards to race for instance um, the color of my skin is here. It's right here I don't get to choose the way that people interact with that. I step into a room and and that's me right Um, and other people get to kind of like um, invoke on me how they're going to understand that But I don't think that Paul is saying that we be colorblind, right? I don't think that Paul is saying that we should um, no longer No longer identify as these specific things but rather he's saying that um, while uh, I'm not affirming colorblindness, it's an affirmation of our true identities beyond the color of our skin, not despite the color of our skin, right? It's an affirmation of identity beyond what the world has decided, beyond these barriers. It's something more than that, um, it's something more, and, and I, I'd argue, something far more beautiful. And this is the new creation, right? Where this, um, our identities are reimagined. In this space, we don't hold them so, we don't hold so tightly to it that we're unable to engage with others. And this is, um, our identities cease to be barriers to relationship and become catalysts for actually experiencing the divine. With this new creation, we can actually see each other. This new creation Paul um, alludes to in this passage begins at the end of our own self-importance. Um, I, I feel like the place that that hits me the most, because I, I, this is like a difficult thing to talk, it's easy to talk about this when it comes to like racism and sexism and things like that. It's just kind of like, okay, fine, you know, um, I can sit with anybody, I can hang out with them or whatnot, but this really, really rubs you the wrong way when we talk about political lines. Right? If I think about um, how often I shut down conversation or opportunity for relationship with people that I deem as more conservative than me um, you know, I, I would drown in it because <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. Right? These things mean so much to us. These identities are, are a large part of who we are in a lot of ways. Right? So if somebody else um, creates tension with that It's really uncomfortable. It makes things really, really difficult for us. And I think there's a parable that Jesus talks about um, um, in in Matthew. It's a parable of the wedding feast. I don't think we have it up there, but I'm going to read it for you here. So Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Wow. Uh, Then he, he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendant, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Right. Um, so there's a couple things that we see in this parable. One is quite violent language. <laughs> um, and, but starting first, so he first invites a bunch of people to the wedding banquet and they're like, I got stuff to do, bro. I, I can't come, right? I've got to vacuum my room that day. Um, and they, they refuse to come. They, they're unwilling to let go of the the, their identities, their jobs—these things that make them important, that keep them, um, keep the status quo where it is. Right? I got to work for my money, you know, in order to keep things the way that they are. They are unwilling to let that go, and they don't get to go to the feast. They—they they don't see the banquet for what it is, for what it could be. And on the other hand, he invites everyone else. Oop, we're out. Invites everyone else. And some of them come not wearing wedding clothes. And I think that this is more than just like an aesthetic thing. (laughs) It's just kind of like, your clothes look ugly, you should dress for a wedding. Um, But more so, it's a dressing of identity. When they go out to the poor or the rich or whoever, they're wearing what they wear. You know they look as themselves when you go to the wedding and you put on the wedding clothes Your identity then becomes one who is at a wedding Right, I, I'm wearing I'm wearing this kind of like formal attire that is signifying that I've stepped into a new space so the people who are unwilling to put the wedding clothes on Unwilling to step into that new creation unwilling to let their identity leave their identities behind at the door were thrown out They were unable to engage with the kingdom There's something about the kingdom that asks for a shedding of our identity and as we invite people into that as we talk about evangelism trying to draw people towards that kingdom, this thing that we say is so great, but we're unwilling to put on the wedding clothes. We're still holding on to our own identities. We're still othering people, making them the other, holding on to these divisions between us. We fail to see the kingdom. And if we approach people with that mindset, there's no way that they're going to see the kingdom as well. All they see is somebody with their guard up, just like my friend, uh, my poet friend said, "I see who you want me to be, or who you think I should be, but I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am." Right. So in this in this new creation, we have to hold these identities a lot more a lot more loosely. We have to leave them at the door so that we can come and sit at the table and actually see each other and, and not hinder other people from coming, coming to the feast from coming to the party, from being invited to the banquet and again on this, um, watch my hands, this is my diagram um, <laughs> so in this, in this new creation, right? we've got Jew and Gentile we've got slave and free, we've got male and female Right. But rather than cutting through them, we cut between each of them. Right. So above here, we have Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. And then there's a line. Ha ha. Wonderful. (laughs) We did it. Cool. So we have these identities that we have above and there are some below. The first thing I want you to note is that there are no longer divisions between us on either side right above we are able to see each other fully and experience each other in all the messiness and scariness um, and challenge that that is rather than having a division between our tribes between our specific identities there's a cut between tribes right the Jews are now cut from the Jews the Gentiles cut from Gentiles slaves cut from other slaves males, females cut from other male and female and I would argue that that is um, the people that are on the top are the people who hold their views lightly opposed to the people who hold on to them tightly people who refuse to relinquish them and um, there so uh, in the Gospels Jesus says a thing um, that's along the lines of um, whoever comes to me has to hate their father and mother. It's like a super intense and weird thing to say, Jesus. Um, but what I think he's saying here is that um, the, your identity begins, our identity often begins in this family unit, right? That's how we understand ourselves first. And he's saying, no, that is not your first name anymore. He's asking for a cut of that, a cut that says that if you actually turn to me and you relinquish that identity, it may very well separate you from the rest of your family. No longer will this be the way that you are defined. No longer will this be the limits of your existence. We're moving into something else. We're moving beyond, beyond these tribal distinctions. And when we're able to loosen our grip on our own identity, evangelism becomes an exercise of eating with one another and sharing all of ourselves. You know, rather than um, when, we're, when we're in this place, we don't have to stress about crossing those barriers. right? We don't have to worry about how we're going to communicate the gospel for these, for these People for these non-Christians, right? If we don't other them, and we start at a base of familiarity—that we are all human, that we that we are all loved, that we are all unworthy, that we're all confused and scared—when we start there, those barriers, those barriers fall away, and now, and now we get to. Um, we get to experience the opportunities that God has already placed there. We get, to notice, we get to notice where we can speak into each other's lives and where they can speak into ours. A huge thing about um, relinquishing that identity in that poetry community is that in that community, that very non-Christian community, I learned more about Christ's love than I had ever done in a church. I learned more about prayer from my Muslim and Buddhist and Hindu friends than I had ever learned from a Christian pastor in that space. And that's a really, um, a really uncomfortable truth to come to, right? Because in that space, while I went in there to evangelize, when I drop that, uh, these barriers, when I relinquish my hold on that identity, it is now possible for me to be evangelized. It's now possible for someone else to invite me into something, but that requires a relinquishing of control. In that situation, I'm not in control of what this experience looks like. And that, and that feels messy, and it feels scary. But then, we're actually able to see each other. In that place, we're able to share. We're able to share ourselves with each other fully. And I think one of the, uh, last week, last week I was asked to do communion. Uh, I was holding the the little cup. And people were coming up before me. And over and over again, I had to say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And at first it was like, all right, all right, all right, all right, but then it was like, oh, oh, oh. As I said that over and over and over again, for people that I knew, that I didn't know, people that we had um, differences, people that were very alike, as they came forward, I had to continually affirm each and every one of them. And that actually broke something inside of me because I realized, I realized that I had put up way more divisions than I thought. I had separated myself, I had distanced myself from people that were in our community way more than I thought. As I was, as I was exposed <laughs> in that moment, and Jesus is reminding me, and this person, and this person, and this person, I died for every single one of them. Right? That is the truth then that we get to move into in this new creation. This is the truth that can change our evangelism is not that I have the right answers and I'm now going to impart them on you but we get to experience this freedom together and when we do that our own um, our own limitations begin to fall apart our capacity for love and understanding begin to expand and I think this is what Paul means when he says I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share and its blessings. The evangelism that Paul is inviting us towards is also an evangelism of self. We sit at the table, we lay down these identities that uh, define us and divide us, and we experience freedom. And when we do that, the other person may not be coming there with that, with that same thought. Right? They might be coming from a completely different place, still holding on to those things. But there's something about watching someone experience freedom that is freeing, that is contagious. And I think that's what our evangelism is to look like. This contagious joy, this contagious freedom that says, I am no longer going to cut myself off from you, but we can see each other here. I'd like to invite the band uh, back up. What the gospel does is strip us bare. It points to a truth that no matter who we are, what we've done, um, what we think makes us different or important, none of that can save us. Uh, nothing we do deserves the love of Christ, yet He loves us anyways. And when we understand each other based on that truth, when we finally stop trying to control who is in and who is out, we come face to face with the divine. Friends, Jesus is not inviting us into an abandonment of self, into a striking away of all of our identities, of throwing them out the window, right? We're not all becoming the same. But he's inviting us to reimagine ourselves, To take another look at these divisions. And see how they actually, rather than holding on to these identities, these identities have a hold on us. They hinder us. They trap us. They keep us from seeing each other. And sometimes from seeing ourselves. And then, in that space, we can come face-to-face with the divine. You know, and there's so much danger in opening your hand. But if if you loosen your grip, you might lose something, right? We serve a God that says, trust me. What will go will go. What will stay will stay. Trust me. There's a seat for you at this table. Just bring all of you. Just bring every single part of you. Don't be afraid, or better yet, be afraid, and come anyways, (laughs) because it is scary. And I think when we look at Jesus, when we look at his death on the cross, we see the ultimate shedding of identity. Jesus, the Son of God, says, why have you forsaken me? There's these words of loss, of separation. The crucifix in itself was a a way of execution that you were nothing. It took everything away from you. Whoever you were politically, whoever you were in class divides, All of it was gone. We don't care. Jesus goes through the ultimate loss of identity. And he invites us to identify with that. He says here, in this bare, naked, weak, scary place, you can meet me. I'll be here. God you're so terrifying. I'm so comfortable. I'm so safe in knowing who I am and knowing it for sure. Lord, I I hold on to certainty until my my knuckles bleed because I am afraid. God, I pray that you that you compel us towards that place, towards that table, where I can sit next to my brothers and sisters and first and foremost identify that they are worth dying for. that I can come to a place where all the things that, uh, that separate us, that keep us apart can fall away. Lord, I think that there's something incredible that you are doing. There is something wonderful that you're doing amongst your people and I pray that we have the strength to engage with it. I pray that we have the the audacity, the courage, to be weak, to not have control, to be completely and fully ourselves right in front of you. To invite others also into that freedom, God, you are so good. You make way through the mess that is our context, that is our understanding of how the world should work, how things should be. God, I pray that you continue to invade our hearts. I pray that you invade my heart. Lord, shake. Shake our very being. Leave nothing the same. We want to know each other. We want to know you, God. We just ask for the strength to go. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.